All right, well, open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah. Isaiah, we're in the Old Testament uh, for this uh, Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21, and I'll read to chapter 9 and verse 7. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I'm starting a two-part series on Christmas this morning, and the title of the series is The Light of Christmas. Uh, it's fitting that we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time of year with light. So we put light on our homes, or some of us do, um, light on the tree, in the house, uh, we, we celebrate the shining star that alerted the wise men in the east to the birth uh, of uh, the king. And light is a part of uh, the celebration of uh, Christmas, and it, and it should be. We don't know what time of year Christ was born. We don't know that he was born on December 25th. Uh, but it's fitting, too, that we should choose a time of year to celebrate Christ's birth at the darkest time of the year. Uh, when the days are the shortest and the nights are the longest, because the light of sh- of Christ shines most brightly where the darkness is the greatest, shines most, most brightly at the darkest hour. On the night when Christ was born in uh, the stable, um, excited shepherds soon arrived on the scene and uh, told their story to Mary and Joseph. And if they told their story in chronological order from the beginning in an orderly way, the first thing that they told them was of being in the dark uh, at night and suddenly being enveloped by light as the light uh, shined on them. Uh, Luke chapter 2 uh, puts it in this way. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. That was the first thing, as the light suddenly went on out there in that um, uh, field. And uh, Mary, as she heard this, it says that she treasured all these things and pondered them in her hearts, in her heart, trying to uh, ponder what uh, all of these things uh, meant. We know from Mary's song, it's recorded in scripture, that she knew scripture well, even though she was uh, a young, young woman uh, at the time. She, she had a good knowledge of uh, scripture, and I wonder if her mind wandered to this portion of scripture, the one that I just read in Isaiah about a land plunged in darkness, being illumined with light because of her child that she held in uh, her arms. Um, and I think she might well know this portion of scripture and be directed to this portion of scripture because it speaks of her just a, a couple of chapters earlier, chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And she uh, had some time to uh, understand that that was her, that she was the virgin that would give birth to uh, that child who would be God with us. Our country is entering into seemingly a dark time, a dark time. And I don't mean just a, a dark time of year, but a time of darkness descending upon our nation in, in, in some unprecedented ways. Satan has made great strides recently, and perhaps a darkness has descended on your soul too. A sense of discouragement, a sense of gloom, a sense of darkness. If so, it's time for the light of Christmas to shine on you. And uh, to that end, we're going to go through this passage verse by verse. Let me divide it into three parts. First, we'll look at what is characteristic of the darkness. That's in verse 21 to 22. Then we'll look at what is characteristic of the light. That's verse 1 to 5. And finally, the reason why light shines in the darkness. And that's in verses 6 and 7. So first, the darkness. And that's the two verses at the end of chapter 8. Let me read them uh, again. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out when they are hungry, they'll be enraged. Curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Isaiah is describing very vividly um, a dark time for his country. And I just said our country in many ways, has been descending into darkness. There's a darkness that's kind of settled on our uh, country. And that that's the kind of time that Isaiah was uh, living in as well. It was a very dark time for both kingdoms, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom where Isaiah lived. Um, and it was divided at that point. But both of them were living under growing Assyrian domination in uh, Isaiah's time. And so the Assyrian army was beginning to push downward uh, from north to south, uh, actually, and a darkness was uh, descending on uh, the land. And so this this um, explains the experience of those living in the land at that time. And it makes clear, I didn't, I didn't uh, include this verse, but the darkness came because they neglected the word of God. And that's in, that's, that's in verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, Isaiah says, if they do not speak according to this word, it is, it is because they have no dawn. And so there's no brightness for those who have abandoned the word of God, who don't speak. The, you know, the word of God is not in their, their lips. 
and uh, it's because they have no dawn, nothing left but darkness. And so it's these people, those, it's the nation, those who have uh, turned away from the word of God that are passing through the land, pressed hard and famished. They're hungry and their hunger leads them to anger. They will turn out when they're hungry, they'll be enraged, curse their God and their king as they face uh, upward. And, and then they look to the earth downward and there's nothing but darkness, distress and uh, gloom. And so it's uh, three things are mentioned as part of this hunger, maybe in this order, hunger, anger and darkness that overwhelms. And it's a it's a reinforcing cycle so that all that they see is darkness and they can't uh, get out of it. Um, it describes them as looking up when they're hungry and angry. They look up and uh, curse their king and their God as they face upward. So they curse God for not maybe for not protecting them from this darkness coming on their country. Curse their king, who's Ahab, kind of a kind of a foolish king. He's not protecting them either. Curse their God. Curse their king as they look up and then they look down. Uh, to the land and nothing but distress, darkness, gloom, and anguish, and then they're driven away into the wilderness. They're they're actually going to be exiled. They're they're um, they're they're losing um, their country, and the land is going to spit them out into uh, into wherever Assyria uh, takes them. And so there's an utter darkness uh, descending on the land, even the best part of the land, the most fruitful part of the land, um, the freest, the brightest part of the land is just darkness. There's nothing but uh, darkness for them. And soon they're going to be not at home in, uh, in the land. Uh, in the same way, when you abandon the word of God, when you stop thinking according to the word of God, uh, your heart becomes like this land, nothing but darkness, wherever it is uh, that you look and there's no way out for the person who turns away from the word of God. And, and uh, there's nothing but hunger, desire, unfulfilled, anger, anger towards God, and then more and more darkness uh, within. In fact, uh, even your prayer, even the best part of your soul, so to speak, becomes uh, darkness for those who turn away from uh, God's, God's word. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Even the best part of his soul is uh, darkness and uh, an abomination towards uh, God. So what is characteristic of the darkness into which the light shines? Well, it's just a hopeless, it's a hopeless situation and you get a bit of a picture of it. It's, it's uh, painted here and it's uh, painted in the colors of the trouble of Isaiah's time and the Assyrian army uh, coming through its hunger anger and uh, more, uh, more, more darkness. It's the last place that you'd expect for the light to shine. And maybe if you're discouraged, your heart is a little bit like the darkness that's described in uh, this place. You wouldn't expect the light to shine here, but not so. Good news. Uh, what is characteristic of the darkness is uh, followed by what is characteristic of light, the light that shines in uh, the darkness. And actually, as we go through, and now we're in chapter nine, um, let me give you four characteristics of this light. And the first is this, that this light shines in the utmost darkness. This light shines in the utmost darkness. Let me read verse one and two. But there will be no more gloom 
for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. There's a light here that shines, especially on those who are walking in the utmost uh, darkness. It starts out, this great reversal, it starts out in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. And who's the her here? Uh, it's actually the land. It's actually the land. That's the that's what it points to. It was described in uh, verse 21. And in verse 22, they'll pass through it, the land hard-pressed and famished, and they'll look down to the earth, and there's nothing but darkness. But now, there's no more gloom for her who is in anguish, the land, it, uh, that was uh, in anguish. And so it's the, it's the whole land of Israel that it's speaking about. A, a light is going to shine on the whole land, the whole thing. It's going to be united again, as it describes at the end of the verses under the throne of David, who ruled over the whole thing. Uh, so there's going to be light on the whole land which was uh, in anguish. And which part first? Which part of the land is the light going to shine on first? Well, it says, it mentions a specific region and gives the detail of it. Uh, and it puts it in this way. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it uh, glorious. It mentions... The far north, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, the tribal allotments of Zebulun and uh, Naphtali. Naphtali, I think, is the furthest north, and Zebulun is close by. Uh, and then it mentions it again, these uh, three regions, which are which kind of the same. It's, it's the north going across from west to east, uh, the way of the sea. There's a road there on the coast. Uh, the other side of the Jordan, the Transjordan area, and Galilee, of the Gentiles. It's so far to the north that the, the Gentiles are, are already kind of uh, uh, mixing in uh, to that uh, area. The far north was the darkest part of the land as the darkness was descending on the land of Israel, would even absorb the southern region except for the capital city um, when, a, when the Assyrian wave really passed through. And that was already happening in um, Isaiah's time and it had already happened in the north, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, and uh, appear in the north by way of the sea and the, the other side of the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. Second uh, Kings fifteen twenty nine talks about this. Talks about this uh, invasion that was already taking place in the days of Pekah, king of Israel. Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon and Abel-Beth. Makkah and Genoa and Kadesh and Hatzor and Gilead and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali. And he carried them captive to Assyria. And that happened in the days of Pekah, king of Israel. And Pekah was not the last king of the northern uh, kingdom. Eventually they'd all be uh, taken away. But uh, this was about 10 or 11 years before the northern kingdom all went into captivity and the capital city fell. Uh, they took a big, the Assyrians came and they took a big chunk of the north. They took Galilee. They took the, um, the region of Naphtali, uh, as well. In other words, the, the, the part that he's pinpointing here is the darkest part of the land. You might say it's the Oregon and Washington is the, is Zebulun and Naphtali. In other words, not, maybe not the largest or the most important part, but 
perhaps the darkest, perhaps the most hopeless as we think about darkness descending on our country um, as well. There's a couple ways you could read verse 1, and I think your translations will represent both based on what I know of the translations you're using. It really amounts to uh, the same thing. Um, the reversal that it's speaking of for this region in the north is either talked about in verse 1, and that's how it is in my translation. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious. And uh, glory in Hebrew is the idea of weight, to give weight to something. So first, disdaining it, but then later on making it glorious, this same region, the way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, so that's one way of understanding it, of God, uh, through tiglath Pileser, um, uh, treating the land of Zebulun and Naphtali lightly with contempt and then making it heavy, making it glorious, uh, like a, like a great reversal. Another way, and I think this is more the way the King James translates it, same thing. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. And later on, I think it says something like he'll oppress it even worse. He'll make it even heavier, make his burden even heavier by way of the sea and the other side of the Jordan. In that case, it would, verse 2 would then make the same point. But the people who walk in darkness, the darkest place, will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And so either way, I think the uh, the light begins to shine in the darkest in the darkest part of the country when the reversal comes. Well, what's he talking about? What was he talking about, this uh, light uh, shining? Well, uh, it's described much later, about 700 years later in the gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and uh, verse 12. Matthew hasn't forgotten about this because the Lord hasn't forgotten about this. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, same region. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, Nazareth was in the tribal allotment of Zebulun and um, Capernaum, where the Lord uh, started uh, his ministry and made the headquarters of his ministry, was in the tribal allotment of Naphtali. So he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them light shined. Uh, so why 700 years later, after the dark time that uh, Isaiah was going through with the Assyrians ravaging the land and making it a very dark uh, place. Did God remember to make a geographical point? Uh, remembering a place on the map and causing Matthew to record it so that no one uh, w- would uh, forget that the light of Christ's ministry first began to shine in that very place. Why did the Lord do that? Well, it wouldn't be the first or the last time that God kept track of a map and geography to make a point about himself to make a point about himself, a principle that's important to God and important, it should be important to you as well, that his light arises in the place of utmost darkness. His light arises in the place of utmost darkness. And actually it can be no other way because Christ makes the dead to be alive. And so the light of Christ arises in the place of utmost darkness always. Like 
the darkest part of your being, the worst thing, the worst sin that you've ever done, that people keep uh, hidden from each other in a way that's uh, good. You build a relationship with somebody by putting your best foot forward uh, for them. And so the temptation, especially if your thoughts of God are very human, is to do the same with God. Put, build a relationship with God by putting your best foot forward and keeping the darkest part of your being hidden. And of course, when you do that, the Lord Jesus says, I already know what that is. I already know what that darkest part of your soul is. Bring it to me because I suffered the darkness, the utmost darkness of the cross so that I could turn your darkness to light. And that's the only way to know me. You have to start there at the darkest part. Uh, and so the light of Christ must first shine on the darkest recess of your soul, the Naphtali and the Zebulun uh, of your soul, the Oregon and Washington, so to speak, of your soul, or not at all. Uh, but if, if it shines there, then he shines like the sun in his strength. And that's the light that uh, Christ brings. So what is uh, characteristic of this light? Importantly, in fact, the Lord keeps track of all kinds of geography to make this point and remembers it for hundreds of years. What's characteristic of this light is that it shines in the utmost darkness. A second characteristic of this light is that it brings utmost joy. And that's verse uh, three. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as when, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. There's two illustrations here of the mood of joy and the kind of joy that it speaks about when the light shines on those who are in darkness is a, is a triumphant. It's a celebrative. It's a communal joy in the presence of God. And the, the two illustrations are, uh, harvest time. And a military, uh, victory. Uh, you shall increase their gladness and they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the plunder, uh, the spoil. And so both of them, they, they, the first pictures, uh, the toils, all the toils that have gone into a long growing season and everyone's labored hard with nothing to show, uh, as, as the, the, um, the fields, uh, begin to bear, uh, fruit. And then suddenly, there's an overflow. There's an abundance of harvest and everybody works hard now joyfully to gather in, uh, the harvest. And the same is true of a, a long military campaign and all the soldiers are going through the hardships of the campaign together. There's nothing to show for it. Uh, and then suddenly there's a victory. There's a windfall. There's plunder. There's, there's, uh, riches, uh, to spare and the men rejoice as they, uh, divide, uh, uh the spoil. So two pictures of, uh, something that everyone does together, they're all celebrating and there's pure joy uh, before uh, the Lord. And uh, this light that I'm speaking of, this Christmas light that we celebrate at Christmas, when it scours out the darkness, whether it's the darkness in the land of Israel or the darkness in your heart, it always brings this kind of joy. It's characteristic of this light. It, you can count on it, that it brings uh, this uh, kind of joy. Why does it bring this kind of joy? Well, there's another characteristic of the light. It shines in the utmost darkness. It brings the utmost joy. And the reason is the next characteristic is because it brings the utmost freedom. Verse four, verse four, for you, for you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. And so it talks about three things that the light 
breaks or three things that the Lord breaks when this light shines. So when the light shines on the land of Israel, these three things are going to break because the Lord uh, breaks them. And there are three ways of describing blows from evil tyrants who treat people as as not human. And so it mentions three three things. You shall break the yoke of their burden like you'd put on an animal, a beast of burden. And the staff on their shoulders, and the staff is, is where you'd beat somebody between their shoulders, and then the rod of the oppressor, all those things are going to uh, uh, break. Uh, all ancient armies were cruel, but the Assyrians made a special study of cruelty to uh, find out how it would make their jobs easier as they went on their military campaigns. And so the Assyrians, even by comparison which other, with other ancient uh, armies, which were terribly cruel, were known for their cruelty by uh, comparison. But the light that uh, he's talking about here that shines on the land brings freedom, brings freedom. And, and it's, it's always true of the light that comes from Christ. Uh, whether it's delivering a land from tyrants, as it's talking about here, or delivering your soul from the tyranny of sin and the devil and Satan, or the tyranny of the law itself. The Bible describes that the law is good in itself, but it actually turns into the harshest taskmaster of all when it seems to offer a way out, a way into God's favor, a way out of uh, the darkness. But you find that the higher you climb on that ladder, the more you resent God for being God and the further you descend into the tyranny of sin and death and Satan. And so they all become uh, reinforcing only the gospel can set you free from that kind of uh, tyranny. And as Paul says in uh, Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So don't submit again to a yoke of uh, tyranny. And so the light that I'm speaking about that dispels the darkness, uh, it always brings freedom. It's a mark. It brings joy because it brings uh, uh, freedom, and that's a characteristic of this light. It says that it brings this uh, uh, freedom when it comes as at the Battle of Midian. So it, it refers back to another time in uh, Israel's history. What time? Well, it's the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon in Judges. In Judges uh, chapter 6, it's a time when the land of Israel was horribly oppressed horribly oppressed. In fact, let me read it. Let me read it to you. The, what, uh, the description of that time, it was another very dark time. Judges chapter six, verse two, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian. The sons of Israel made for themselves the dens, which are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the East and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come against them with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And do you remember what happened when they cried out to the Lord? The Lord raised up a great champion. Gideon, who was cowering um, in his uh, wine press, hiding, trying to beat out uh, a little bit of uh, uh, wheat. And then the Lord raised up a great victory through uh, Gideon. And so it says here, Isaiah says, when the, when this light shines in the darkest uh, place, it's going to be like the battle of Midian. It's a fitting comparison because Gideon 
was especially the deliverer of uh, Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. He was, it was in the north where he won his great victory. It's more fitting because the victory was won, do you remember, with a sudden flash of light. They took pictures and covered their torches. There were only 300 of them because the Lord wanted to save with a few. They surrounded the enemy by night, and then at, at a signal they broke the pitchers, shattered, and there was a, 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 a burst of light, and Israel's enemies slaughtered one another with their own swords. And so uh, in the same way, when the light shines in the utmost darkness, it brings the utmost joy by bringing the utmost freedom and uh, liberty, liberty in that uh, same way. Well, there's a fourth characteristic of light, and that is it brings the utmost victory. It brings a total victory. It brings a total victory. And that's described in verse 5. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. What is this talking about? It talks about boots and a cloak rolled in blood being for a bonfire, for uh, burning. There's lots of um, sandals in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Abraham wore sandals. Moses wore sandals. Boaz's relative wore sandals. Jesus wore sandals. And Peter wore sandals. And I looked all those up. So that those all wore sandals uh, in the Bible. Not a lot of boots. Not a lot of boots in the Bible. I did not find anyone wearing boots in the Bible, and I looked uh, uh, for it. In fact, this is the only place in the Bible that mentions boots. Um, and for that reason, I think some of the translations don't translate it as that. In verse 5, translated as something else. It's actually a word borrowed from uh, the neighbors of, uh, of Israel, just mentioned here in the Bible. But the Assyrian soldiers were known for wearing boots. And so if you see them pictured in some kind of stone relief, you'll see them wearing these uh, lace-up boots that lace up all the way almost to uh, the knee. And uh, they were known uh, for that. And uh, it, this is what's depicted when this light shines. Every boot of the booted warrior in the tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning and fuel for uh, uh, the fire. And, and the um, here's the thought. When the light shines, it brings a victory in this way that every boot and every cloak that's been dragged around the battlefield in the blood of their enemies, because that's what it's uh, speaking of, is going to be for burning. And the thought is this. If even every boot and every uniform of the enemy soldiers is going to be for burning, how much more every weapon? or every siege engine, like the Assyrians known, uh, were famous for, is going to be for burning. And so that's the kind of victory you should expect when the light uh, shines. Uh, not a partial victory, a total victory. And that's what you should expect when the light of Christ shines in your heart. That's the kind of victory you should win over sin, over death, and over Satan. If that's the case, maybe you should adjust your spiritual goals if you if you expect that kind of victory when the when the the light shines maybe you should expect great things maybe you should expect that kind of victory over the sin that so easily uh besets you lest you be found guilty of counting God a liar because God says this is the kind of victory it's a total victory an utmost victory that he brings when the light shines every boot of the booted warrior and every cloak uh that's been rolled in blood will be for burning and for fuel for uh the fire 
Well, we've looked at what is characteristic of the darkness, hunger, anger, and more darkness, and it seems like there's no escape. And then we looked at what's characteristic of the light. It shines in the utmost darkness. It brings the utmost joy. It brings the utmost liberty, and it brings uh, the utmost uh, victory. So when you think of the light, in fact, next time you see a Christmas light uh, in whatever place you're going to see, and I hope you think of all of that about the light that shines in the darkness. But lastly, let's look at the reason why the light shines in the darkness. And here it is in verse 6 and 7. It doesn't happen by itself. It happens because of this, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so the reason why the light shines in the darkness was because of a king, a king who's going to come and sit on the throne of David and, and uh, the, the, the land of Israel is going to change because of his presence. Interesting, it doesn't speak of him as a grown man here, although that's, that's what he is when he accomplishes this victory, uh, when he dies on the cross when he goes into heaven, actually when he returns again as well, it's, it's as a grown man. But it's mentioned here, it's mentioned here as a child. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And this is what makes all uh, of the difference. Why? It's because in his coming, in his coming, all that results from his coming is secured all at once. And that's why we call this the light of Christmas. The, the, and we celebrate the birth of this uh, child. Mary grasped some of this, I think, on the night of Christmas as she was pondering these things, pondering all the implications of everything she was experiencing, everything that she knew that had been said uh, about this and treasuring them up uh, in her heart, that hidden in this little baby that she was holding in her arms is, among other things, a stunning military victory for a reunited Israel on the throne of David that would bring peace to the whole world and an end of war, and a repeal of uh, the curse. And in this way, light would shine in the utmost darkness, bring utmost joy, utmost freedom, and utmost uh, victory. And how would he do it, this little baby? How would he bring about all that, this little baby that she uh, held uh, in her arms that would bring about this great change and this great light? Well, by his character, by his character that's reflected in his names. And his name will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And she grasped that the, that the, uh, that God Himself would accomplish this. this. Is what it says at the end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That word zeal, it's, it's the word for jealousy. God is a jealous God. That's how He's uh, depicted. Meaning, He guards His own glory with jealousy. He loves with a holy jealousy as well. And it's his jealousy that is going to accomplish this light that's going to shine from this this child and this great victory that uh, is going to come uh, from this child. Well, Mary had much to learn, as we all do. Uh, specifically, as it was told to her, a sword would pierce her soul. And so she had to learn that before this, before this great victory that I've just uh, spoken about, 
Christ also has a people to save from their sins. And he could only do it by the cross. That's the sword that pierces her soul. She, she saw it. She lived to see it and by the resurrection as well. Before this, light would shine in this way. Uh, on the land, Christ had a church to guide from heaven to complete its mission on the earth before he would shine this light on the land uh, of uh, Israel. And Christ helps us, his church, from heaven now by shining his light in utmost darkness in a way that brings us joy, in a way that brings us freedom, in a way that brings us victory. And how does he do it? By showing the same character that's mentioned here by his name, that he is wonderful counselor. That's what he's showing in your life, that he's mighty God, that he's eternal father, that he's prince of peace. And it's the same jealousy, zeal of the Lord that accomplishes that, the light to shine in your life as the Lord uh, guides us to victory and guides us to victory uh, together. So next time, we'll look at those names. We'll look at those names and the meaning of those uh, four names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, and how Christ, who's born on Christmas day, is uh, showing that uh, in in your life as he guides you uh, to victory and shines the light in the darkness in your heart as well. But the promise is for you. In fact, this is how, this is how uh, the light shines on you. The promise is for you because the child is for you. And so utmost joy, utmost freedom, utmost victory is for you. A child is born to us and a son is given to us. And that child, that joy, that promise, it reaches you not at your best moment, not at your best moment. In fact, if you try to reach up to God uh, that way, you'll never reach him that way. He hides himself from you in that way. It reaches you in your darkest hour, and it's yours uh, by faith, meaning taking God at his word and saying, yes, this child was born for me. This child was born uh, for me. Uh, Christ is born. A son is born for me. The Christmas story is mine. And Christ was born uh, for me. You can say that or you can say, no, Christ was not born for me. Uh, my soul is not so dark that I, that I need a savior like that. Yes, there's, there's some dark parts of my soul. There's a shadow part, but I'm, I'm, I'm not as dark as all that. I'm not in utmost darkness. I may be gray, but not in, uh, the utmost darkness. That would be insulting. I don't need a child to be born for me. I don't need, uh, Christ to be born, uh, for me. Well, if that's your response in God's wide, wise plan, you get what you want. Everyone gets what they want, either an eternity with Christ or an eternity without Christ. So let me encourage you today, put your trust in Christ, in this child, whether for the first time or whether for the 1,000th time. And this Christmas time, may the light of Christ shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this promise, and we know that it's true, that Christ was born for us. A son is given uh, to us. Father, we thank you that the light of Christ, the victory he brings, the joy that he brings, the liberty that he brings is a light that shines in the darkest place, the darkest place of our soul. And so we need a savior like this. We need one who is wonderful counselor. We need one who is mighty God, who is eternal father, who is prince of peace. Father, we pray that you would show us more of Christ this Christmas season and that the light of Christ might shine uh, upon us with the joy and the victory that he brings. In his name we pray. Amen.